0: We are going through a series called Bible Answers for Life's Questions, and last week we started a very interesting topic, what the Bible says about alcohol, and wine, and strong drink, and should a Christian drink it? Should they not? Uh, What does the Bible say? And I think last week we talked about um, the context of alcohol in the Bible, we talked about some facts brought out in the Bible about alcoholic beverages. Um, But one of the things that I think is most important is that we not only identified what the Bible says, we also identified what the Bible does not say. And at the end of the day, as a believer, I want to do everything I can to live my life exactly the way God tells me to live it, based on what God tells me, what God says to me. Unfortunately, there are those, um, and, and I think sometimes, we're probably guilty of this too, that when we're passionate about something and we're convinced of something or we want it to be true, we have a tendency to take Bible verses and even though they're ambiguous, squeeze them into the mold that we want them to fit into so it proves what we want it to prove. And unfortunately, that's not the purpose of the Bible. The Bible is God's written letter to us to tell us what He wants of our lives. So I'm not interested in it being something that I can use as my legal way to prove it's okay for me to do what I want to do. I'm interested in genuinely, honestly knowing what does my God say. So when God doesn't say it, and it's not in the Bible then I don't say it. Because I can't with any authority. So, I think last week we did see that there are a lot of things about this particular topic that we have to be careful that we don't try and make the Bible say something that literally it, it doesn't say. Now, all that being said, there are two main words in the Bible, a Hebrew word and a Greek word. They are kind of work together with each other, that are used, translated wine, or fruit of the vine. In the Hebrew, it's the word yayin. In the Greek, it's the word oinos. As a matter of fact, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, oinos is used where yayin is used in the Hebrew. So they they are the same thing. The truth of the languages and the words is... They mean wine in any stage or form. So by the word, I cannot determine if it's alcoholic or not. It can be the fruit of the vine. Great juice. It can be. It can be with alcoholic content. But I cannot make that determination simply by just looking at what the word is because the word in its language does not make that determination. Okay. Now, there is another thing that we need to remember. There are those that will tell you that the context determines whether or not the word is referring to the alcoholic version or the non-alcoholic version. Now, there is some truth to that. The context will definitely tell you if it is alcoholic when the Bible talks about in Proverbs 23 that who has woe and who has trouble and who has problems those that tarry long at wine and become drunken when the Bible says that Noah drank of his wine and became drunk then we know it was alcoholic, right? I mean, I don't know too many people that get drunk drinking Welch's grape juice you might get sick of your stomach, but you're not going to be intoxicated. Okay? So we, we know from the context, without doubt, that was alcoholic. However, in John chapter 2, the passage we studied last week, where Jesus turned the water into wine, that's all it says was that he turned the water into wine. Now we have the context of what the Master of the Feast said about they normally bring the good stuff out at first, and when everybody is drunk too much, and they really can't tell the difference, then you bring out the bad stuff, but you brought the good stuff out first. Now, we can make, based upon the context and what is being said, we can make a fairly educated assumption that it was probably alcoholic in content. However, the truth is, we do not know. The Bible did not tell us, The Bible did not tell us that the reason Jesus made the good stuff was because everybody was already drunk. It, It didn't tell us that, did it? Nowhere in there does it say that. So the truth is, we don't know. And that's where we have to leave it. We don't know. Now, there are those that will say, oh yes we do. Jesus would have never made alcoholic drink that's an assumption where in the bible does it say that there is nowhere the people that say that and hold that position here is their assumption their assumption is that it is wrong to ever put a drop of alcohol in your mouth simply because no human being could ever drink a drop of alcohol one time and stop Everybody would be duped or deceived, according to Proverbs 20 and verse 1, and that if you take one drink, you will drink more. And the assumption is that is true of everyone. Therefore, if that is true of everyone, that if you take one drink, you will become an alcoholic, you will eventually get drunk. Would Jesus ever give me anything that would cause me to get drunk? No. So if the assumption is that if you take one drink, you will take two, three, and four, then the assumption naturally drawn out would say Jesus would never make an alcoholic drink because if he did and they drank it one time, they'd all become drunks. Does everybody understand that? You see that? The problem is that's all assumption. It's all assumption. There's nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus commands never to put an alcoholic beverage of any kind in our mouth. Nowhere does it say that everybody that drinks one will drink twenty. Nowhere does it say that if I take a drink of wine that I will eventually become a drunkard. Nowhere does it say that. So where does all that come from? People and their assumptions. Uh, A lot of people have that assumption because they grew up in a home where they had an alcoholic father or an alcoholic mother and it was very severe. And that is very real. A lot of people have that assumption because they have been hurt severely by alcohol. Now, all of those things are viable considerations. And I'm going to show you in just a minute. That I personally believe very few people have the natural ability to handle this. It's my opinion, that's all it is. Very few people have the ability to handle this. And if you are not sure, you're going to see in a minute, the Bible says I should not. Okay? Okay? So I, I don't want you to get the impression that I am promoting everybody go out and have a bottle of wine this afternoon or get you a six-pack of beer and watch a football game. <clears throat> Nor am I saying if you want to have a beer while you're watching the football game this afternoon, then you are a wicked, rotten sinner and you're probably not saved. I'm not saying that either. I mean, the truth of the matter is if I wanted to drink a beer this afternoon watching the football game, I probably would. However... My Christianity and my faith and my life for Christ surely does not hinge on what I think about alcohol or whether I drink it or not. So we've got to put it in perspective. And I guess more than anything, I want us to learn to be honest with the Bible. I want you to know what it says and what it doesn't. In actuality and in Principle, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, now once you look with me at Romans fourteen and verse one, the Bible says, except him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables." The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. Uh, look at verse number 5. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Look at the next phrase. It's very important. Each one should be fully Convinced in his own mind. Now, what I want to do today is I want to give you seven biblical principles that govern questionable things in life. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time to read all the verses. It would take me three weeks to do all these justice and go through every one and read every verse and exegete every passage that belongs to this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you these principles. If you ever take notes, you need to write these seven things down, because they will help you in your Christian life more than probably any single lesson we ever teach. Because they are applicable not just to the issue of alcohol. They are applicable to all kinds of things, in your Christian life. Now, if you don't have anything to write with or write on, we do record them, and thank you to Roger. It will be posted on our website within a day or so. So you can go out there, pull it back off, and listen to it again, and take those notes. These seven things are vital. They are principles we live by. Let me give them to you real quick. Number one, seven principles. First one, the glorify God principle. Glorify God In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, the Bible says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In John chapter 17 and verse 4, Jesus said, talking to his Father, I brought you glory on the earth by completing the task you gave me to do. I want you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read you a passage here that deals with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. By the way, what does the word glory mean? Anybody remember? A good report. An opinion. So when, we, when the Bible says, let your light so shine before men, they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, that means we are giving through our life other people the right opinion of God with our life. When they look at our life and they see what we're like, they get the right opinion of God. Okay? Not the wrong opinion. They get the right opinion of God. That's all it means. So my life is responsible for what other people may think about God. Whether they accept Him, whether they reject Him, whether they love Him or they don't love Him, whether they think He loves us or He doesn't. So my life is important when it comes to what other people think about God. Now as a believer, that becomes a huge responsibility. It is something that I value and I take very seriously. It is not something that I view flippantly. Because I can literally send someone to hell by living the wrong kind of life. By giving them the wrong opinion of God to where they want nothing to do with Him. And they die without Christ and spend eternity separated from God because of me. So that becomes something very important. By the way, that's why this is the number one principle. This one ought to govern everything else. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 with me. I want you to look now at verse 23. Look at what Paul says here. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. You see, this study we're doing about what the Bible says about alcohol, this, this is not at all about, well, it's my right to do what I want to do, and nobody's going to tell me what I can do and what I can't do. If I want to drink a beer, I'll drink a beer. The truth of the matter is, if you want to go shoot somebody, you can go shoot them. They'll arrest you, try you for murder, and kill you in the gas chamber. But if you want to do it, you can go do it. Life is not about me having the right to do whatever I want to do. Oh, that's a selfish way to live life. Life is not all about me. Okay? So, Paul says, I want you Corinthians to know everything is permissible. I mean, I have permission to do whatever I want to do, but everything's not beneficial. It's not about the fact that God says, I can't do it. But is it beneficial if I do it? Based upon what my real purpose in life is. Let's keep going. Everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. It's not accomplishing something that's worth anything. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Look down at verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the what? The glory of God, whatever I do. And I thought it was interesting, he used eating and drinking. The basics of life. Whatever we do, it is to be constructive and beneficial towards the main purpose of our life, which is to give people the right opinion of God. To bring glory to God. Let's keep going. Verse 32. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So principle number one, if something is questionable, the first question I want to ask myself is, will it give people the right opinion of God? Will it bring glory to God or not? Okay. Principle number two, it's what I call the love others principle love others as a matter of fact twice in 1 Corinthians 10 Paul said I'm not seeking my own good but I'm seeking the good of others I'm trying to do what I do because I'm thinking of others not myself okay um, look at uh, turn over to Romans chapter 13 go back to the book of Romans Romans 13 this is verses 8 through 10 Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. We're going to look at verse number 8 first. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to do what? To love one another. That's the only thing that I now owe. But I owe it to you to love you. Now look down at verse 10. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Love does no harm to his neighbor. Chapter 14, verses 14 through 18. Romans 14, verses 14 through 18. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it's unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in what? Love. If what I'm doing bothers or offends, and by the way, the word offend in the biblical sense means to cause somebody to sin, not hurt their feelings. If every time God says that we shouldn't offend somebody, if he was referring to every time we did something that hurt somebody's feelings, we weren't supposed to do it, we'd have to live in a hole somewhere. You know, doing right hurts people's feelings. I mean, I've actually had people tell me, praying for your meal in public offends me. Too bad. I I don't know how that caused you to sin. Because that's what the word means. To cause someone to sin. To put a stumbling block in front of someone, which is something that causes them to sin. Not something that hurts their feelings. You know, there are some people that wear their feelings on their shoulders, and you look wrong and you offend them. I mean, you can't live like that. That's not your problem. That's their problem. Okay? So that, but that's not what the word means. So when, when Paul says here that if I do anything that causes my brother, brother to be distressed, to be offended, hurt to the point of sinning, then I'm not acting out of love if I'm doing something that a brother of mine is going to be hurt in his conscience or is caused to sin because of it, and I really love him, especially if what I'm doing is neither here nor there, would I not stop doing it? Why not? If I love him. I mean, if me doing that offends you to the point that you're going to sin, if my brother is a recovering alcoholic, and a bunch of people want to go to a sports bar and sit around a bar and eat wings and watch a football game, even if they're drinking Coke. And my brother says, I can't do that. I'm just not strong enough yet. Oh, man, I, sh- I can't be your friend because then I won't be able to go to a sports bar and watch the football games. No, that's acting out of selfishness for me. That's not acting out of love for my brother. That's what Paul is saying. That's the love others principle. I do what I do in questionable matters, considering what it's going to do to my brother because I love them. Not considering what my right is or what's good for me. It's what's good for my brother. Okay? Let me give you a couple other verses. I don't have time to read them. But I'm... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24, we were just there. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 33, we were just over there. Alright, let's go on to number 3 real quick. we got the glorified God principle, the love others principle, and then number 3, this is the most common one, the weaker brother principle. The weaker brother principle. Now let me give you the verses. Romans 14, verses 13 through 23. And we we won't read those right now. Romans 14, verses 13 through 23. Also, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Basically, the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. And this is what I want to read to you. Okay? So, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13. Bear with me here. Let me read these to you. Now, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Notice the next phrase. But love builds up. I may know that it's okay for me to do something. But if I love you, I don't do it just because I think it's okay. And you don't. I'm going to do what I do out of love because that builds people up. And if it hurts you, I'm going to just not do it when I'm with you. Because I don't want to hurt you. That's the difference. Knowledge makes people proud. Love builds people up. There's a huge difference. Okay? Let's keep going. Verse 2. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom, we all, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. Look at verse 7. But not everyone knows this. Paul says, I know this. But everybody doesn't know this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol, and since their conscience is weak, it's a key phrase, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and we are no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you have this knowledge, eating in idols' temples, but won't uh, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. By the way, the destruction he's talking about is mentally. And we're actually going to talk about this in another principle in a minute. But what's happening is, the peace that he has in his mind that he's doing the right thing is destroyed. Because he's actually done something under my influence that he's really himself not convinced is right. So he creates guilt that he has to live with, which is contrary to the way God says we ought to live. We're going to look at that more in a minute. Verse 12. When you sin against your brothers in this way, interesting, God says, if I cause my brother to defile his conscience, I have committed a sin. In our context, drinking a glass of wine or a bottle of beer, if that causes one of my brothers to be offended, to sin in his conscience, to do something that in his mind he is not convinced is right so that he actually thinks He may have just done something wrong. And he lives with that guilt. God says it wasn't the drinking of the wine that was the sin. It was the offending of my brother's conscience. is what I did that was sin. Did I see that? It's very important. Let's keep going. Verse 12. When you sin against your brother in this way and you wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Verse 13, Paul says, Therefore... If what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 14, it's interesting. Paul says, I will eat no meat and I will drink no wine if it causes my brother to sin. So was the issue whether or not a big T-bone steak was right? No. No. Is the issue drinking a glass of wine right or wrong? Is that the issue? No. The issue is my weaker brother in the faith. Am I building him up? Am I helping them? Or am I hurting him? Let me tell you something. When it comes to alcohol, if a bottle of beer or a glass of wine or a mixed drink is that important to a Christian, we got bigger problems and just drinking alcohol. I hope that my life as a believer and my desire to please God and help others is not totally destroyed over whether or not I get to take a drink. That's a pretty weak way to look at Christianity. Now, please understand that's normally not the issue it's whether it's right or wrong to drink alcohol and we fight over something that's really not even the issue and the truth is you can be a person who dogmatically thinks that you're lost and going to hell if you drink a glass of wine and yet you yourself for those of you listening offend your brother in all kinds of other ways besides drinking a glass of wine and you are just as guilty of this sin you see how so easily we get sidetracked by Satan on the things that don't matter and we destroy what really matters because we're sidetracked okay so that's the weaker brother principle yes yes mean that if you go far in one direction, you fall to the security of other people. You know, what is this line between? Because, like you say, some people wear the hard sleeves, everything. What's this offense? How do you, what is this causing to offend? Well, in the Greek language, the word literally means to cause to sin. And I think you'll see when we get, there's two principles down. The next principle is the beneficial principle. The fifth principle is the peace of mind principle. And I'm going to show you where, I think the Bible clearly teaches that the place where we get offended the most is right here. We sin more right here than we do out here. By the way, most sins start right here, not out here. We focus so much on the outside. How we wear our hair, how we dress, how we look, where we go. We, we focus so much on the outside. And in doing so, we are no different than the Pharisees. Did Jesus not tell them that you look great on the outside, but you're really whited sepulchres? Your problem is not out here. Your problem is in here. So when, when Paul talks about the conscience being offended, and the weaker brother is the one with the weaker conscience, which literally is spiritual immaturity. And it takes away the peace and the joy, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. But I think that's what you're going to see. But literally, the term offended means to cause to sin. And there's a lot of ways we do that. A lot of ways. It, it clearly is not, I hurt your feelings. No. Um, great example. When I spank my children because they disobey, I promise you, I severely hurt their feelings. But I'm not causing them to sin. I'm actually protecting them from it. Okay, so that's that's really the biggest difference. Okay, does, does that help? Okay, all right. Let's go to the fourth principle, the beneficial principle. In First Corinthians chapter six and verse twelve, and then in the passage we read in First Corinthians ten, uh, verses twenty-three through thirty-three, Paul clearly says. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial or constructive. Now, relative to what's beneficial and what's constructive, based upon the very first principle we talked about, what are we trying to benefit what are we trying to construct? People's opinion of God. Bringing glory to God. That is our purpose on the earth. That's our ultimate purpose, is to bring glory to God. Okay? So... Paul says, if it's beneficial and constructive to helping someone grow in Christ, to become more like Christ, to have peace in their heart, if it's beneficial to helping them, lost people, if it's beneficial to bringing them to Christ, then it's good. But there are things that in and of themselves are good, but may not be beneficial for my main purpose in life, which is to bring people to Christ. And alcohol is just one of them. There can be lots of things. Cheating on your income tax. <coughs> Lying on your expense report. Cutting off work early, but punching the clock for a full eight hours. There's all kinds of things that if lost people see me do when they know it's not right, will give them the wrong opinion of God. So that's what I said. We're talking about principles here. We're not talking about specific issues. That's what most people want. They want to get off on these specific issues because if I get on this issue, I don't have a problem with this issue. So let's stay over here because if we start delving into the principle, you're liable to cut into my life somewhere. We don't want to do that. Principles govern our lives, not just specific situations and incidents. Okay? But the principle is consistent all the way through. Do you understand that the idea of a biblical principle and how it becomes a guideline? Take the game of football. There's a rule book. Does that rule book cover every situation in football? Not in specifics it doesn't, but in principle it does. Unsportsmanlike conduct. How many different ways are there to commit unsportsmanlike conduct? Does anybody know if in the NFL rule book it says, Thou shalt not cuss out the ref, or thou will get a 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty? It's not in there. However, is that unsportsmanlike conduct? Sure it is. There's a principle there. Okay? So, and that's what God does. He gives us principles. And we follow these principles. Okay? So, that's the beneficial principle. Is it constructive to giving people the right opinion of God? Now, number five. Okay? And this is the one I think will help. Great. The peace of mind principle. The peace of mind principle. Let me give you Romans 14. Turn back there with me. Romans 14, verses 22 and 23. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Let's pause right there for just a second. In a minute, the very last principle that you're going to get today is called the accountability principle. Basically what that means is, I am accountable ultimately to God. That's ultimately who I'm accountable to. If you believe the same as I do, great. If you don't, bless you. I don't answer for you. I answer for me. I know what I believe. I know how I approach these issues. And one day I will stand before God and I will answer to Him for what I know and what I believe. If you disagree with me, that is your right, because you will answer to God one day for what you believe. I don't have to answer for you. My job with us as a class is to simply teach us what the Bible says. Then individually, we take it and do with it what we choose. I am accountable to teach you what the Bible says. You're accountable for what you do with it. Everybody understand that? Very important. This ain't no man be paying class. We talk about real stuff here. Because this is life. We're all going to walk out of this building, and tomorrow morning, you're going to hit this stuff, just like I do, square in the face when you go to work. Okay? So... In this peace of mind principle, Paul is saying here in verse 22, I have to, there are things in my heart that are not beneficial for me to tell everybody else. I keep those things between me and the Lord, because ultimately that's who I've got to answer to. Let's keep going. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. What is he talking about? Condemning myself, not you. I condemn me by what I approve of, by what I tell myself is okay. You see that? This is not about other people. Now this is about me. Let's keep going. What does he mean by that? Verse 23. But the man who has doubts. Where do doubts come? In your mind is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Here's the principle. This peace of mind principle. Everything I do because I answer to God one day, I have to be convinced in my mind and my heart that God says it's okay for me to do it. If I don't, If I think it's wrong, and I do it anyway, what have I just done? I have condemned myself by what I told myself was okay to do. What is the punishment of that condemnation? Guilt, and unrest, and no peace, fidgety, on edge. By the way, that may be where a lot of these feelings end up on the shoulders. It's nothing more but an outward expression of an inward guilt. And trying to convince myself that what I really think is wrong is not. So the guilt will go away. Colossians chapter 3 verse 15. Let the peace of God rule. The word rule there is a Greek word that literally means umpire or referee. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. God's peace is what tells me whether or not it's right and wrong, whether I'm doing what's right or doing what's wrong. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing. That means don't be anxious, don't worry about things. What is anxiety or worry? It's unrest in the mind. I'm worried. You ever seen somebody worried about something? Are they happy, joyful, jubilant? They're on edge. I mean, you touch them and they go all to pieces. They snap at you in a moment. Why? There's no peace. That peace is gone. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Verse 7. And the peace of God that surpasses human understanding will guard your heart and your mind through Christ. Without the peace of God, you are in danger. The peace of God guards our heart and our mind, and when you don't have it, we are in trouble. We become desperate. We do all kinds of things. What is the greatest way and Drake, maybe this will help, that we offend our brother. We cause them to do something that in their mind they are not sure it's right. Romans 14, 23, Whatever not of faith, whatever I do that I'm not convinced in my heart is right before God, is sin. And what I have done, I have condemned myself by what I just approved. And the reason I approved it is because I was with another Christian who did it. So I thought it was okay. You see? Now, I have sinned because I caused them to sin in their mind. The guilt comes in. The anxiety comes in. The peace goes away. And it's that peace that guards their heart. I just took away what God put there to guard their heart, and it's my fault. You see that? I hope we're not getting too deep. This is real life. And we all go through it. I battle with guilt. I battle with guilt over things, and in my mind, I know I'm okay. I know God has forgiven me. But what does Satan do? He comes back. He is the accuser of the brethren. He wants to create guilt. That's why the peace principle, this peace of mind, the Bible uses another term, sober-mindedness, clear thinking, the peace of God, it's got to rule in our heart. Now let me give you number six. And this kind of goes along with it. And it is what I call the sober-minded principle or the self-control principle. Now this becomes very, very important. Hang in there with me. I know we're over time. I need to finish this. But I ain't going to be here next week. I'm going to be out of town. So I want to give you all of them. All right? Sober-minded or self-control. Let me give you the verses. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 6 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 6 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3, 4, and 5. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. By the way, this is the passage where Paul says, I discipline my body and I keep it under, I bring it into subjection, so that when I preach to others, I myself will not become a castaway. Paul says, I have to discipline myself. Okay? Now let me give you two points under self-control or being sober-minded. Number one. The warning concerning alcohol. There is a warning all through the Bible about how alcoholic beverages can distort sober-mindedness. Literally, the alcohol makes it so I can't think right. Let me give you the verses. Proverbs 20 and verse 1. Be not deceived. Don't let wine and strong drink deceive you. It's a mocker. It will make fun of you if you are deceived by it. Let me tell you, one of the greatest deceptions is, well, I'm only going to drink one. Are there people that can just drink one? Yep, I know them. I know them. They have a glass of wine two or three times a week at dinner. That's it. They're good Italians. And they drink a glass of wine at dinner. I've never known them to be drunk. I've never known them to want to be. And they're smarter than I am after a glass of wine. So I I know that the assumption that nobody can just have one is not right. First of all, the Bible never says that. And number two, I know people that just drink one. Okay? However, Is there the danger because of our flesh that I may not be that person? Sure there is. I have to be wise enough to understand that and to know whether or not it's really that important to me. Okay? Then Proverbs chapter 23, verses 29 through 35. Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. And then Proverbs 31 verses 4 through 7 Proverbs 31, 4 through 7 Proverbs 31 is the passage that normally talks about um, the virtuous woman but do you know in the beginning do you know who's actually talking there? King Lemuel's mother is giving him advice and the, the majority of the chapter is his mother telling him the kind of woman to look for a virtuous woman But prior to that, in verses 4 through 7, he says, It is not for kings, O to give themselves to wine or strong drink, lest they not be able to think straight and they pervert judgment. In other words, you drink too much, it distorts the way you think, you don't think right, and you do things you shouldn't do. Anyone in here who has ever had more alcohol than you should have knows exactly what that's talking about. Me being one. You say things, you do things. I know people who have done things that ruined the rest of their life. Because they had too much. And they can't undo it. It ain't worth it. Is it okay for you to do it? Sure. You better be careful. It ain't worth it alcohol will distort my thinking at the point that it does it is wrong because I am to be sober-minded. That's why Ephesians 5:18 says, be not drunk with wine where it is excess but be filled with the spirit. Do not allow your thinking to be controlled by alcohol it should be controlled by the Spirit of God. Be very careful. By the way, just a simple application to that. If a person tends to use alcohol to find peace, it's commonly called taking the edge off, relieving my anxiety, so forth. Be very careful. Because now you're using it like a drug, and that's exactly what it will become. Because without it, I can't find peace. Where does our peace come from? God. Not a bottle. Satan's very tricky. Be careful. Be very careful. I told you, I'm never going to tell you that you shouldn't do it or you should. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says and warn you the same way God warns us. Okay. Um, Number seven. Principle number seven. Temptation principle. Real quick. We've got to hurry. We're way late. James 1, 13 to 15. James 1, 13 to 15. Galatians 5, 16 to 21. Galatians 5, 16 to 21. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And Romans 13, 11 through 14. The temptation principle is simply this. We all have a sin nature that is tempted to do wrong, don't we? We talk about it all the time. We have to be careful that we don't put ourselves in a situation where we're going to be tempted to do wrong with questionable things. Whether it's alcohol or anything else. Okay? We don't want to put ourselves in a position where we're tempted to sin. Okay? Now remember, these are principles governing questionable things. Then the last one, number eight, the accountability principle. That's Romans 14, verses 1 through 12. And that's where the Bible says, so that every one of us will give an account of himself to God. Ultimately, what we do with what we've learned the last two weeks is between us and the Lord. My peace of mind is dependent upon my relationship with the Lord, what I believe He has taught me, which is right, and what I approve, and whether or not what I approve condemns me or not. So ultimately... The decision is ours individually. I walk with God individually. I fellowship with God individually. We encourage one another and we learn together, but ultimately our decisions to do or not to do is ours. Take what we've learned, use these principles in questionable situations in your life, And I promise you, if we follow these principles and allow them to govern us when we have questions about things, we will always end up going the right way. Okay? Eight very important principles. If you have any questions about them, I'll be glad to talk to you. A lot of stuff in a very short amount of time. But I'll be glad to help you if you have questions. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Use it in our lives. Give us wisdom and direct us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. See you, everybody. Have a great week.